Planet Pod, essential listening for everyone who cares about the planet. Hello and welcome to the Planet Pod with me, Jim Hayward. I've stolen the mic from Amanda for this episode and I'm really excited for lots of reasons. First of all, we're going to be talking about some amazing, diverse and incredibly important animals, which I've always been aware of, but kind of fallen in love with over the past few years as I've looked at them through the macro lens of my camera. But I know some people really don't like these creatures and would rather avoid them at all costs. That's a little bit difficult because we've got over 24,000 species of them in Britain and worldwide, there are well over a million species. Added together, they weigh more than all the other land animals on Earth. But the really worrying thing is that at current rates of decline, we could see extinction of 41% of the world's species. And if you haven't guessed it already, we're going to be talking about insects. Another reason why I'm so excited is because I'm going to have the chance to talk to two fabulous guests, both of whom are experts on the subject of insects and passionate advocates for protecting these important creatures. Dr. George McGavin is an entomologist. In other words, he's an insect expert with over 30 years academic study and research behind him and has had several insect species named after him, as well as holding a number of honorary research roles and life fellowships of both the Royal Entomological Society and Royal Society of Biology. He's a television presenter and author whose recent book, The Hidden World, published by Welbeck, gives a fascinating insight to how insects sustain life on Earth today and will shape our lives tomorrow. George, a very warm welcome to Planet Pod. Thank you very much. My second guest is Matt Shardlow, the chief executive of the fantastic charity Bug Life, otherwise known as the Invertebrate Conservation Trust, whose tagline is saving the small things that run the planet, as well as his passion for and expertise in invertebrates, which includes insects, but also covers a host of other animals from bees to beetles, worms to woodlice, spiders to jellyfish. Matt is a biodiversity expert, keen conservationist and author. Matt, welcome to you too. Hello, Jim. Well, thank you both for joining me today for what I know is going to be a really, really great discussion. Perhaps can I start off by asking you both the obvious question, you know, what do you find so exciting about insects in particular? And, and maybe, you know, where did this, this interest start for you? George, maybe ask you first. Well, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when I, I became fascinated by insects. I must have been 10 or 12. I seem to remember seeing David Attenborough, or he, it was his voice anyway, and it was two spiders having sex. And A, you know, I didn't know much about sex at the age of 12, and I certainly didn't know that spiders had it. But anyway, there he was, you know, saying, and the male advances towards the female with his palps charged with sperm. And I'm going, holy moly. <laughs> but it's, I mean, I was always interested in in the small stuff, always. Uh, and at school, I, I just liked biology. Nothing else seemed to matter. But when I was at my second year at Edinburgh University doing zoology, I was amazed at how all my classmates were looking for badgers and owls and eagles and slow worms and not finding them because they're quite rare and hard to see. And yet at our feet were literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of wood ants doing remarkably interesting things. And I realized then, if you don't understand what the insects are doing, you can't really call yourself a zoologist. And you don't understand much about how the world works. Yeah, absolutely. As you were speaking there, I had a sort of image of you behind the bike shed with a with a furtive spider magazine, which kind of <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly quirky there. Really, yeah, but, uh, cool. Yeah. Look at the pops on that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. And, and, and Matt, what about you? What, like 
Like George, I was a normal child and I was fascinated by insects. Most children are, aren't they? I mean, that's where we all start off. We all start off thinking these things are amazing. And and somehow some people seem to just lose that along the way. I don't know why they lose that along the way. You know, maybe you could tell me. I don't know. Um, but I could give you perhaps a couple of examples of really amazing sort of things I can remember from quite early years. One was in the school grounds, there was a dead tree. Now, I wouldn't recommend this behaviour now because I know a bit more about this. There was a dead tree that uh, they'd, they'd chopped all the branches off. And me and another boy, uh, we spent one lunch hour tearing all of the bark off this tree and finding all these sort of grubs and pupae and all sorts of weird and wonderful and sometimes, you know, quite, I mean, not grotesque is probably putting it too strongly, but sort of, it's it's got a sort of awe, but it's a wow, ooh, awe, rather than a, oh, isn't that beautiful awe? So there's that aspect to invertebrates, isn't there? That they're, that they're kind of entertaining and a bit sort of monstrous almost. Little like little mini beasts, aren't they? I guess. Little mini beasts. But there's also the amazing beauty of insects. And one example is uh, I can remember swimming in a little river, little river, and along the bank of the river, there were these uh, damselfly, bands of banded damselflies, which are, which are iridescent blue. And in the sunlight, the wings just glitter like jewels, you know, absolutely jewels. So you've got, you've got that slightly horror and that slightly, you know, amazing, beautiful wonder about insects. I mean, they're just fantastic, aren't they? I don't think I was normal, actually. <laughs> you, you say you're implying, Matt, that we're both normal kids. Right? I don't think we were. I, I think we were a bit strange. Every time I've taken children out, they've always been amazed and interested and they, they get stuck. Yeah, no, that, that's true. I mean, I, I do a lot of outreach with kids and and when you take them out, uh, they they do enjoy it. And this, I think, is one of the shames of primary education today is that they it's very difficult to take a class out in the field. You've got health and safety. You've got things to worry about. And I think lots of schools just think, oh, well, it's not worth the effort. It is worth the effort. And you should take them out in the field uh, as often as you possibly can because it is. I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a class in where, in the village where I live where a young lad found a, a, a new species of slime mould. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, he, he had no idea quite how fortunate he'd been to find this, but, mm-hmm. but he was pleased nonetheless. I, t- I took my son and we were in, in France, George, and we, uh, we were, uh, there was a little reservoir and um, we were going around the edge of this reservoir, and I turned over this plank of wood on the edge of the reservoir, and underneath there were these channels about a centimetre and a half in width, these tunnels underneath it. I sort of looked at them, and I thought, God, that, that's probably a mole cricket. Mm. And my son, being, Ooh, like, a mole cricket. being like three and knowing no better, plunged his hands into the ground and mm. pulled out a mole cricket. Yay! <laughs> well, that, that, that's just children, isn't it? They just get stuck straight well, in Well, he, he's very fortunate, Matt, because I, I was about 32 until I found my first mole cricket. Well, I so still, he's lucky. I still <laughs> wouldn't have seen one if it hadn't been for my son. <laughs> so so, it, so it's, it's, it's about getting children engaged, isn't it? In the, as you say, sort of enthralling them, interesting them in things which they like to do, which is quite often pretty mucky stuff, you know, and get, them, you know, get themselves in most. But, but buy them a hand lens, so a really important thing. Uh, Jim, is it's a very cheap thing to buy, a times 10 hand lens. You, you don't have to spend a lot on it. Five or six pounds will buy you a reasonable times 10 hand lens. Give it to kids. Okay, some of the boys will try to set fire to ants with it, but when they've finished doing that, 
they will start looking at algae and fungi and worms and millipedes and spiders, and it's going to open up a whole world to them. They, they didn't really know was there. Mm, yeah. So talking about all of those different things that they could see, uh, and we talked about in, invertebrates, including insects, can, can maybe, Matt, may I ask you, what is an insect? If somebody needed to sort of say, well, okay, I've seen something, is it an insect? Is it, you know, because a lot of people will call a spider an insect, of course, don't they? Yeah. they'll call a woodlouse an insect, or they'll, bugs, bugs and creepy crawlies, which is a horrible expression, but they'll call it an insect. But so, yeah. <laughs> George is just giving, he's strangling himself here. So, I had to get uh, an entomologist mad. <laughs> We're going to give him mad, get you even madder in a minute, George. But Matt, what is a, what is an insect? Yeah, well, well, at bug life, we look after all of the invertebrates. Yes. And, and that's a big category. And it's a sort of, um, it's not really a taxonomic group. So an invertebrate is basically something that isn't closely related to a human being. And there are things in invertebrates like flatworms that are closely related to us and, and earthworms, which are more closely related to other things than they are to flatworms or us. So, there's a bit of a strange category in vertebrates. Within that, insects are probably easily, uh, most easily identified as those things with a hard exoskeleton and six pairs of legs. Now, right. that, that's usually a, a pretty good measure. Obviously, there are some things like maggots which don't have legs, um, so you have to know that that's going to turn into something with six legs in due course. But generally speaking, six legs, external skeleton, that's an insect. Okay, so... Coming on to the question that's going to get make you mad, George. Uh, yes. We know some some insects can be annoying, and they, you know we know that some can be really dangerous. Some can be vectors for diseases. They can destroy crops. Uh, you know, and I'm sure you get asked. But this most question. are quite nice. Most are quite nice. I'm sure you get asked the question: What's the point of a wasp? I what, do. What, what I good do. do flies do? But you know, yeah. What's the point of flies? I what, <laughs> why are insects so important then to life on this planet? Wouldn't the world be better off without flies? Yeah. Well, I get. Yes, I do get asked this a lot, and in audiences, and a chap always pops in. It's always a chap actually pops his hand up and says, what's the point of a wasp? Uh, it's, I, I'd like to know what they're trying to drive at. Are they trying to get to, you know, what do they do or what's the point of it? Because when you ask what's the point of it, well, what's the point of any species? What's the point of us, I say, to make more of us? What's the point of worms to make more worms? What's the point of wasps to make more wasps? You know, don't look for any higher reason than that is we, we reproduce but what what he really is saying is you know from a very human point of view they annoy him because they sting him well that's only because he doesn't understand them they are enormous carnivores and they are the shock and awe troops of of anywhere especially in your garden I mean, if you've got a garden and you've got a wasp nest nearby you won't have to reach for the the pesticide, mate, because all the wasps will be cleaning up your your insect. And I, I use the word pests. I don't actually normally use the word pests. There are no such things as pests or weeds. Weeds are wildflowers. Pests are insects that you don't want there. Uh, that, <laughs> that's tough, you know. So basically... They remove all soft-bodied things that might be eating your plants. They chew them into a nice pate, and they feed them to their young. I mean, you should be really pleased, you know, but the point of anything is, well, why do you have to ask what the point of anything is? It's a really silly question. Yes. I suppose I suppose some people get so frustrated by, you know, they're having their sandwiches and their, their picnic and, you know, wasps are around, and they think, you know, these things are knowing, doing no good. But actually what you're saying is that there's a whole host of things which we may not realise that, that not just wasps but all, all other insects do, don't they? 
What's the uh, point of us, I would say? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually a very good question. What yeah, is well, the point of us? That, that'll be our next podcast, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, Jim, um, just, just on that point, I mean, I absolutely agree with George. Not everything has to justify itself to us, doesn't it? You know, they can be beautiful. They can be wonderful. Um, they, they have their own right to exist as well, I think. You know, we think there's a moral... There's a moral thing about extinction that it's just wrong for us to cause the uh, extinction of other species. So, so that's their right to exist. Um, but you know, they are really critically important for the health of the planet as well. And you know, increasingly interesting research coming out showing that even the rare species are really important because the rare species are so good at converting resources into biomass. So, if you're wanting to see lots of swifts in the air. Actually, a lot of what they're feeding on are specialist invertebrates that are feeding on habitats that are quite rare and localised. So the abundance of life that we see in the countryside is actually an attribute of all of those species of insects and other invertebrates. And without them, we see collapse in ecosystems. Uh, and we might come on to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, lo lots of people, they really don't understand either the quantity or the quality or the purpose or the purpose, the, the function in ecology of, of invertebrates, of insects. I mean, 77% of all known uh, uh, species would fall into mats, you know, a, a category. Only 3% have a backbone. So vertebrates only comprise less than 3% of all species. That's everything from aardvarks to zebras. Bats, cats, rats, mammals, amphibians, birds, fish, us, the lot. I mean, it's a pretty trivial group. Uh, and the rest are plants, fungi, and animals. But insects particularly are ecologically so important. They're what make what we see in terms of ecology work. They are the pollinators. They are the major carnivores. They are the major herbivores. They are the major resources. Cyclists, and as Matt has just said, uh, they are the food of the world. I mean, most higher animals, most of the birds, and all your pangolins and anteaters and aardvarks and all the rest of it eat insects. They, they, if you, <laughs> they, they've been around for so long, 450 million years, first on land, first in the air. Ecology, the ecology of the earth has evolved around insects as an integral essential part without them the rest it, it would just fall apart we we just wouldn't have the sort of ecology that we have today and of course our food also comes from uh, insects yeah. either directly or indirectly work done recently published science showing that the decline in pollinators and that's not just bees that's also flies that's also the wasps that's also those other things that get questioned sometimes that those the decline in those species means that we're now seeing one percent of global mortality is a direct result of insect declines because there just isn't enough food so we're hearing you know all sorts of stuff about tomatoes and brexit or tomatoes and you know farm subsidies or tomatoes and supermarket prices fundamentally if you don't have the pollinators no one has that food to grow no one has that food to sell so at the bottom are the invertebrates forming those fruits that we then sell. And without those, people are dying. Tomatoes are a very good case in point because they, they are fertilised particularly by bumblebees who have evolved this particular trick to, to buzz as they collect the, 
the pollen. And and in fact, the majority of glasshouse tomatoes, in fact, all the glasshouse reared tomatoes that you will ever eat have been pollinated by a bumblebee. And bumblebees in particular are a very interesting, mainly northern hemisphere group. We have 25 species in the UK. That's about 10% of the world bumblebee fauna. And yet we're not looking after them very well. Take, for example, the great yellow bumblebee, which in the 50s when I was born was widespread in England. Now it's not widespread. It's only found in the extreme north and west of Scotland because there are no wildflower areas left because we have improved grassland to grow sheep. There are no wildflowers. The bees go. And that's happening on an enormous scale. Wildflower areas have reduced to just 3% of what they originally were. So we are not a green and (laughs) pleasant place anymore. Uh, Absolutely not. I mean, the 50s was was probably the last glow of what it was like to live in a diverse habitat. Mm. I'm sure this is the case for many people. You know, I used to regularly have to clean the sort of squashed insects off the, you know, the, the front bumper or the, or the front of my car after a long drive in summer. But you know, I've noticed that there are far fewer now. Uh, so, Matt, you know, what's the current state of, of the, would you say, the insect population in the UK in particular? And, and just, I know you've got this fantastic no insect extinction um, campaign going. You know, we're trying to ensure that we can sort of look after the insect population and, and hope to climb. But what, what would you say is the state of play at the moment? Well, it's, di- it's dire, Jim. Um, uh, a few years ago, I mean, we know there's long-term declines. And when you look at distribution data, which, which is crude, but if you look at distribution data, where the things are, we can see that, generally speaking, probably three-quarters of the insect species are going down, somewhere between 60% and 75% of the insect species are going down and only 20, 25% of the species are going up. So there's this big imbalance in terms of the direction that species are moving in terms of distribution. But what that doesn't tell us is about abundance. How many of these things are there? Uh, so we can look at distribution data. It tells us that things are going extinct in areas. It tells us some species are going extinct altogether. Um, but until you start to get that abundance data, you don't really get that measure of the health of the ecosystem. And you're quite right. People can remember. It's called the windscreen phenomenon. Can remember when they were younger, the dads, usually it seems to be dads, having to stop the car and clean the windscreen so they'd be able to see where they were going uh, when they were out driving on long journeys. Or at night, see clouds of moths in the headlights. You know, you almost can't see where you're going because there's so many moths in front of the car. And those are experiences that, Unfortunately, the young people of today just aren't having. So we, we looked at that, and um, there was um, a pilot bit of work done by the RSUB in 2004, and we've adopted that, and we're repeating it. And it's a, a scheme called Bugs Matter. It's part of our No Insect Tinction campaign. People get involved. They can log on, uh, download this app called Bugs Matter. It's very simple. You just clean your number plate. You let the app know that you're starting a journey. You take your journey, your phone will record the journey for you, and at the end, you just count the number of insects that have hit your number plate. And we've been doing that for the last two years, and we're able to compare that back to the data 17, 18 years previously. And, uh, yeah, it's dire. Um, it's, uh, it, 
64% of insects have disappeared over that time. So that's a decline rate of 34, 35% per decade. So we're losing a third of our insect biomass flying in the air every decade. That figure is very similar to similar figures that are being found in Germany on malaise traps, on traps, trapping flying invertebrates on uh, nature reserves, and also in Denmark, where a, a chap has done his own little study of driving and counting bugs on his windscreen. So in, in Northern Europe, you know, big declines. Also information from the rest of the world suggesting there are similar problems elsewhere, but often the data isn't quite as good as it is up here. So, uh, I mean, is this is this all part of the the, you know, the sick mass extinction that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're in the middle of or we think we're in the it, middle of? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, uh, there were some statistical problems with some of the work that Matt referred to, uh, but be that as it may, um, there has been no work that showed the opposite. There's no work that says, oh, yeah, insects are doing really well. They're on the rise. Fantastic. No, it's all been rather gloomy. Yes, the sixth extinction. Of course, absolutely. There is no doubt about it at all in my mind. And it's not the first time that the sixth mass extinction has been put forward. We are losing, on a global scale, the most complex, diverse habitat on Earth, and that, of course, is your tropical moist forests. And they have been reduced from a historical 12% to now under 6%, and we are burning them for cattle ranching, for soybean production, soybean which is shipped around the world to feed cattle in Europe so we can buy, buy you know, ch- cheap meat. Oil palm is becoming one of the biggest problems in the, in the world, and they are just devastating vast swathes of forest now if you accept and there has a lot of evidence for this that between half and 75 percent of all species on earth live in tropical forests at the rate we're going most of those will be gone or seriously degraded by the end of this century which means we will have lost over half of all species on Earth in less than 100 years. And that puts it on a par with the five big major extinctions in Earth's history. It's not all gloom because insects will survive it. (laughs) I'm not sure if we will, but insects will definitely survive it. They are future-proofed like no other animal group. And uh, they will go on uh, happily, I'm sure. Uh, But the Earth will take millions of years to rebuild what it it lost uh, 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 it's really staggering frightening as well as you, as you say the, you know, the impact of the, that loss of tropical rainforest in particular not only does it have that that impact you're talking about you know on, on the insect population and all that, that entails um but also obviously there's a huge climate or car you know loss of carbon sinks uh, so you know, a massive a massive issue there uh, just Switching on to this, perhaps a slightly let's lighten the mood slightly. You know, I, you know, I said I've fallen in love with insects, and I find them fascinating, amazing, and that largely because I've you know managed recently to sort of start taking close up pictures, which is 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 incredible. You know, there's some really great references and identification guides uh, on the Bug Life website, aren't there, uh, Matt? You know, and of course, in your book, George, you know, Hidden Worlds, from some really interesting facts. But could you do, can I just ask you each just to give us an example of something about insects which people may not know, which might surprise them, might frighten them, might scare them, might 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 you know 
make them feel a bit queasy? And is there something that you think is, this is really amazing. I wish I'd known this, you know, much, you know, when I was much, much younger. Uh, one superpower, and insects have many superpowers. They are the superheroes of the planet, uh, is in fact reproduction. And of course, insects do it rather well. Uh, and it was, uh, it was calculated some time ago that, uh, if a pair of uh, fruit flies were to uh, mate at the maximal rate for one year uh, without any hindrance or disease or death or whatever, and there was plenty of food, uh, the resultant number of flies from those two original fruit flies would be 1 times 10 to the power of 41. Now, that's a big number. And in fact, if you were to cram 1 times 10 to the power of 41 flies at about 60 per centimetres cubed, which is, you know, close but not squashed, uh, that would make a ball that would fit between the Earth and the Sun. So there, there you go. And in fact, you can you actually, it, it happens a lot in all these tales in, in history. There's a great story of uh, an Eastern European king for whom an old man, a wise old man, helped him in some minor way. And the king said, you can have anything you want. And the old man said, I'll have a, a draft board. And uh, is that all you want? Said the king, don't embarrass me. I'm the king. Come on, ask for more. And the, the old man said, well, I'll, I'll have a grain of, of barley on the first square and two grains in the second square and three grains on the third and so on to the end of the board. And the people tuning into this podcast can calculate themselves how many grains of barley would be sitting on the 64th square? And I can tell you, it's an absolutely vast amount. And if you add it to the rest of the grain on that board, it is probably, it is almost certainly more barley than has ever been grown in the history of agriculture. And the king was ruined. The old man became king. Ha ha, everybody happy. I hope we have a happy ending. I just don't think we're bright enough. We know what to do. But we're not doing it because of the vested interests of other individuals for whom money and growth seem to be the mantra and the only way forward. It is the only way forward, but into a, an early, an early demise. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, George. Thank, uh, um, Matt, coming back to that usefulness point, um, we don't really know how useful invertebrates are. Um, because we've only just started to study them. You know, this is early days in terms of understanding life on Earth. We use, even now, with our very limited knowledge, over 400 species of invertebrates in medicine. So 400 species of invertebrates, chemicals from them, or actually whole invertebrates, in the case of maggots and in the case of leeches, 400 different species. Now, that is uh, scratching the surface of the useful chemicals and the useful processes that we might find out there. To give you just one example, I don't know if uh, listeners are uh, familiar with the um, Robin's pincushion. Robin's pincushion is it, a gall you get on roses. People often think it's a weird rose, but it's a it's a, a ball, like a little ball of plant fibres. It looks almost like a flower, um, and it, it grows in the tops of... Uh, dog roses and other roses. You, you can see these little balls of red fluff almost in, in, the, in the thing. And it's, and it's a gall. So this is created because a, a little wasp lays its egg and this gall springs out. It doesn't stop there, though. So uh, there are 
other wasps that then come and lay their eggs on that wasp's egg. So they will detect the rose gall there and all the nutrients and goodness that's in there. And they will come and either lay eggs onto that gall wasp egg that they will then eat the gall wasp, or they will lay eggs into the gall to feed on the gall themselves. There are then other wasps that will specialize on laying their eggs on those wasps. So, so you get this, you've got a three tier, so that you've got the, the wasp is parasitic on the plant, another lot of wasps are parasitic on that, that wasp, and then another load of wasps are parasitic on, on those wasps. And it builds up, so you've got, you've got a community of, of like 12 different species. And, and, and they're all dependent on that one original species. And, that, and that's something we find much more in invertebrate communities, that, that interdependence, that detailed intricacy. And, you know, it's really easy to muck up. So it's a sensitive thing that the invertebrates are often dependent on very specific things in the natural environment. And if we get those things wrong for them, they go. And then all the other species that depend on them go as well. And then in the future, we don't have medicine. Absolutely. And and they're fascinating. They are utterly fascinating. And people, if they want to learn about the natural world, don't don't go and start looking for vertebrates because they're, they're vertebrates are rather dull, I have to say. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how the BBC had a successful hit with Big Cat Diary because if you've got a domestic cat, you know they spend most of their time asleep. And so it is with lions, another thing. They, they had to edit like 300 hours to make half an hour of anything remotely interesting. But if you want to find out something new, and I've often said an uh, an average eight-year-old would see something in the bottom of their garden, a behavior that's probably never been seen before if they apply themselves. You can, you can lose yourself in the wonders of natural history, and that mm. means basically insects. And when I get upset and stressed, which, let's I'll be honest, is quite a lot of the time because <laughs> when I graduated, I, it was only just beginning to go downhill. And I realized that my entire career would be Anxiety. I wish I'd become an astronomer or a historian or something because I, I wouldn't have been so affected by all this. But but when I do get upset, I go for a walk in a woodland or somewhere natural, and within half an hour, I've lost all my worries. I just looking and looking and examining under leaf litter and bark like Matt did all those years ago, and I forget about all the issues. But yeah. we do need to do something, and we need to do it pretty quick. I mean, on that note, what I would ask then for each of you, call to action. We always ask, we always like to sort of finish on us on giving our listeners a call to action. I mean, I mean, the clear call to action, I would say, is, and, and I'm holding this up so that listeners at home can see, of course you can't, The Hidden World, uh, George's book, how, how Insects Sustain Life on Earth Today and Will Shape Our Lives yeah. Tomorrow. First call to action, buy the book, read it. Uh, well, buy the book, buy the, and, and buy the book from <laughs> from an independent bookseller, if you yeah. possibly can, or, oh, certainly, yes. uh, or, or support your independent booksellers. Um, join Bug Life, fantastic charity, which I've been a member of for a while now, and it's it's really fantastic. So I'll, I've done that plug for, for both of you. But, uh, George, give us, a, give us a quick call to action. Call to action, to right. Live, live okay. with and love wildlife. And, and organic insects. produce, if you can. Buy organic produce, demand it, eat it. Never use pesticides in your garden, ever, ever, ever. If you have a, an artificial lawn, you should be ashamed of yourself. Rip it out. Wild gardens are fantastic. Let's get away from this green-striped urban nightmare. 
which grew up in the 40s and 50s. And get onto your council. Stop them strimming verges in the spring where bees need to feed early, bumblebees particularly, and get landowners to stop cutting ivy on trees. Ivy does not kill trees, okay? Just leave it alone because those ivy flowers are going to feed all the insects in autumn. Brilliant. That's great. Matt, call to action. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, I mean, that's all right. And uh, I think we all need to do what we can. But we also need to recognise that these are big problems we're facing. So, you know, we talked about habitat fragmentation and the fact that species are isolated on little islands in the countryside. George mentioned the great yellow bumblebee, which has disappeared from the whole of the southern part of its range. Climate change is driving localised extinctions of rare species at an unprecedented rate. Fix for that is a big solution. That's bee lines, where you put wildflower meadows back in between those areas and fill up the, the gaps so that the species can start to move and disperse through the countryside again and keep pace with climate change to give them half a chance. So we're fragmenting the countryside. We're heating it up, drying it out, making it really difficult for anything to survive. Meanwhile, we're polluting everything increasingly with light, increasingly killing stuff with pesticides everywhere. We're not getting on top of these big issues. Invertebrates are not being dealt with. Now, you join Bug Life. We will work on behalf, your behalf to try to fix these big issues. These are political issues. And also, let's try to keep those politicians to account as well, because they really need to start to address this. Otherwise, we're going to see food shortages much worse than we've got at the moment. And we're still going to have farmers saying, give us more money and we'll sort out the food shortages. But what we really need to do is sort out the ecology and get more pollinators out there back in the countryside so that they're hitting the fronts of our cars, entertaining our children and making sure we've got a healthy environment to live in. Fantastic. Matt, thank you so much. Well, I'm afraid time is against us. So a really huge thanks to both my guests, to Matt, Matt Shardlow, George, uh, George McGavin. Really fascinating discussion. I wish we had longer. Uh, and it's such a great subject. And, you know, we didn't even talk about any of the other invertebrate species. So perhaps another another episode. But thank you so much to both of you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks also to our producer, Beth, and to our regular host, Amanda, who um, may be frightened that I've now stolen the microphone away from her. But no fear for that. Thank you particularly to you, to you our listeners. There's no animal, vegetable, mineral slot today, but we'll be back with that. So do join us again for the next episode. Thanks for listening. And bye for now. You've been listening to Planet Pod. We'd love to hear from you, so please do get in touch and don't forget to follow us on social media. 